It's uh, such a joy to be amongst friends and family. And Mark said, do you want to, do, should he introduce me again? I said, I think most people know us here. We've been coming for 10 years, uh, as Barb said at the beginning, to serve the church here. And, you know, we classed some of you, or we classed all of you as <laughs> good friends, but some of you as very dear friends, very close friends. And uh, we just love coming here. So we don't feel we're coming as guests. We don't feel we're coming as speakers. Or uh, We just feel we're coming to be amongst family this morning. And uh, I think it's very significant uh, what's happened this morning, actually. Uh, when I prepared what I felt God was speaking to you, or wanted to speak through me to you about this morning, it was a few weeks ago, and I didn't know two things. One, I didn't know that you we're having a gift day today for the building. I, I knew about the Top Mar building. I've known about that for some time because Mark and Joe and the others have been sharing with me about that. Uh, I certainly didn't realise it would be the gift day today. And then I didn't realise that we would be giving thanks for uh, little Isaiah. And I'll come on. I, I, no, I have, to say, I, I have to say Isaiah, but I'll, I'll say it correctly once for the tape. Isaiah. Um, but uh, I want to speak out of the book of Isaiah. And uh, that's kind of significant uh, this morning. So I don't know how much you know about the book of Isaiah. I don't know how much you've studied that as a church or individually. It's a fascinating book of the Bible. I was so impressed, even as Ben gave his little introduction, uh, because Isaiah is a book that kind of mirrors the whole Bible. Just out of interest, does anyone know how many chapters there are in Isaiah? Very good. Who said that? Mr. McGuigan, very good. Oh, I think you're going to answer all these questions right now. <laughs> and how many books are in the Bible? 66. Isaiah really is two books, Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 2, kind of put together. They're so different that some commentators, some people think they couldn't possibly be written by the same person because they're, they're so very different. But actually, different writers can write different genres and different styles, and most evangelical writers would feel, no, there is one author, but he's just writing in two very different styles. And interestingly enough, book one is chapter one, right the way through to chapter 39. 39 chapters. How many chapters in the Old Testament? Interesting. And then chapter 40, that Ben referred to, chapter 40 through to uh, 66, that's 27 books. How many books in the New Testament? And it's like the book two of Isaiah, like the second part of Isaiah, it mirrors the New Testament. It's quite amazing how it mirrors the New Testament. For instance, it starts off in Isaiah 40, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight a highway for our God. Our God's coming back. He's coming back to save. How does the New Testament start? John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path. The Lord's coming. He's coming back. And then Throughout the next few chapters, there are what's called the four servant songs. Songs about the suffering servant. Songs about the Messiah who will come and give his life. How many books start the New Testament of stories of the suffering Messiah? Four books. And then it kind of climaxes in chapter 53. And chapter 53, if you study it and look at it, it's an amazing chapter all about the cross. I mean, you really can't get more descriptive about the cross, the one who was pierced for us, the one on whom the Lord laid the punishment, the one who is the lamb, the sheep to the slaughter. It's all about Jesus, magnificently displaying who Jesus is and the sacrifice that Jesus is going to come and make for us. Because Isaiah, his name means God who saves or the one who saves. Jesus means the one who saves, the one who comes and gives his life for us. And then in chapter 60, you get this incredible sense of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, it says, it's like, well actually, sorry, chapter 60 is actually about the resurrection. It's about like a light has dawned. Gross darkness is on the people, but light has dawned. There's a new day. Something is bursting forth. Glory is shining. It's all about this resurrection that's happening and the Son of God coming into his own. And then chapter 61 is all about the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
The, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. He's called me to preach good news. What is Jesus' first message, his first preach in Nazareth? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. What happens after Jesus is resurrected and raised and seated at the right hand of his ascension? The, the Spirit is poured out on the early church, Pentecost. It's all there in the book of Isaiah. And then the latter chapters of that book too, 65 to 66, are all about a new heavens and a new earth. They're all, God ultimately will restore all things. God will bring it all back to order. God will redeem it all. And the Bible ends with revelation saying God is going to do that. God is going to bring it all back together, together again. There'll be no more suffering, no more tears, no more sickness, because actually it'll all be renewed. It's all in the book. It's amazing. It's, a, it's the Bible in miniature, Isaiah. And we're going to look actually at chapter 54, which is kind of fascinating in the light of what you're going for this gift day and next week and the Topmar building. So it's all about enlarging the place of your tent. So it's kind of significant, I think, for you uh, and for what's happening. Now, let me just give you a bit of history about when this was written or in the context it was written. It's so important that we don't just pull passages or verses out of the Bible and apply them to ourselves without understanding the exegesis of what, or the hermeneutic of when they were written, what, what they really meant to the first people who heard them, and the context that they were written in. Unless we understand that, actually we can slightly get into error. So the context of this is the people of God, Israel, has been constantly warned by God. You see, God has blessed Israel. He's taken them out of slavery of Egypt. He's brought them through the Red Sea, through the desert, long story, but into a promised land that God has given them. And God said, I'm going to give you this inheritance. It's free. It's by grace. You've not earned it. You don't deserve it. It's because I love you. And I'm going to give you this land to prosper in and to grow in and to multiply in as long as you continue to follow me and as long as you continue to be a light to the nations, to display to the nations around you my goodness, my love, my covenant faithfulness. But if you do the opposite of that, which is rather than display the covenant faithfulness and mercy of love of God, you actually start to take foreign practices, foreign gods, child sacrifice, intermarrying, Baal worship, demonic uh, practices. If you take those on yourself, if you become indistinguishable from the people around you, then actually I'm going to discipline you. Notice I use the word discipline, not punish. I'm going to discipline you and I'm going to take you out of the land for a season to teach you some lessons. And of course, that's exactly what Israel did. They consistently went away from God. They consistently imbibed foreign practices, married, intermarried, took foreign Baal worship, child sacrifice, uh, demonic practices. They took that into their culture consistently. Now, occasionally you get a great king that emerged that pulled all the Baal worship down, but consistently they slumped again. And, and God kept saying, don't do it. I'll discipline you. Don't do it. I'll discipline you. You hear parents do that sometimes. If you keep doing that, there'll be discipline. If you keep doing that, there'll be trouble. And actually, unlike some parents I know <laughs> who don't always follow through what they say, God is a good father and does follow through what he says. So the people of God have been ripped out of the land. They've been taken out and they've been put into captivity in Babylon. And right now, Isaiah is writing to the people of God in captivity in Babylon. They're crushed. That was interesting what Jackie uh, brought today. They're crushed. They're, they're pushed down. They're in despair. They're actually very depressed. They're, they're in a really bad place at this particular time in their history. It's not a happy time. In fact, the psalm, right, some of the psalms that were written at that time actually are psalms of despair, psalms of trouble. I'll give you one. You know this one. By the rivers of Babylon, sat down, oh, we wept when we remembered Zion. You remember that one? Boney M, 1974, I think, something like that. I don't know if that was a hit in Canada. It was certainly a hit in the UK. But it's like, that's the song. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept. Now they said, oh, sing this a happy song. 
You're the happy, clappy ones, aren't you? Yeah, we know your religion. You're the happy, clappy one. Sing us a happy, sing us a happy song of Zion. And they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? That's how they were feeling. And you today might be feeling in exile. You might be feeling crushed like Jackie was talking about. You might be feeling pushed down. You might be feeling, how can I be happy? How can I sing the Lord's song when everything seems to be going wrong for me? In fact, I almost wonder if I'm under the Lord's discipline. I almost wonder if I, it, it, you know, I, I'm pushed down. I, I'm sad. I, something's happened. I'm not joyful. I'm, I'm not as I should be. I, I see everyone around me all happy and rejoicing, but actually I'm in difficulty. I'm in trouble. I, how can I do that? And Isaiah, the prophet, speaks hope to the people of God right there. And I believe the Isaiah the prophet speaks hope to us today, right here, right now. Because what he's saying is this, and you can read it right the way through that second book of Isaiah, hope is coming. Deliverance is coming. There's going to come a time when you're going to be taken out of captivity, you're going to be taken out of the land, and you're going to be brought back to Zion. And actually, you're then going to sing with great joy. And you're going to rejoice and actually, God is going to do something wonderful amongst you. In fact, it's going to be like a barren person. Now, in a moment, I'm going to read the Scripture. It's a very long introduction to reading the Scripture, isn't it? Almost it'll be as long as the preach, I think. <coughs> this Scripture is actually quite difficult for uh, Anne and I to speak out of, simply because what he's talking about here in Isaiah 54, we'll read it in a moment together, I'll read it to you. He's talking about barrenness, inability to have children. And those of you who know Anne and I, we've been pretty honest with you guys uh, over the years. We've told you our story. That's our story. We've been unable to have children. And there's a, a stigma attached to that, thank God, less in our society than it was in their society. In their society, it was a dreadful thing not to be able to produce children, an awful, awesome awful bad thing you must be you know under some curse or some dreadful thing must have happened and it, it's like what Isaiah he picks on that he picks on the one who almost would have the most shame almost would have the most sense of I don't even know what it's, it's not like us we've got pensions and savings and you know actually the only hope of a woman would be her children would provide for her in the future. That's why the McGuigans are having so many children. <laughs> they want to be so well provided for in the future. And that would be exactly the kind of joy, actually, that would be celebrated in Israel. Hey, the McGuigans are going to be happy forever after. They're going to be looked after. Oh, but the barren one, oh, but the widow, oh, but her, tough luck for her. Now, Isaiah, he picks that one deliberately and he says now even the barren one even the one who's had no children even the one who's desolate amongst you she is going to rejoice so much as if she's had a million children as if she's had so many children why because the lord's doing something in her the lord's doing something amongst her and she's going to have many children and it doesn't mean physical children it's going to be like she's had many children and of course that was fulfilled Something happened when the king of Persia took over Babylon. The, uh, uh, there was an exodus back. They came out of Babylon. King of Persia came, and, uh, came into the Babylonian empire and he released the captives and they came back with joy. But they almost felt, but it's never quite been fulfilled. It's never quite been as I said. Because this actually isn't just about a fulfillment for Israel. This is about the fulfillment for the true Israel. It's about the fulfillment of Jesus coming as the Messiah, as the anointed servant of God, and bringing God's people out of exile into great freedom. Because the real enemy was not Pharaoh or the king of Babylon or the king of Persia, or the Roman Empire, the real enemy, the Satan, the accuser, the real one who held us in captivity was going to be crushed and going to be broken. And Isaiah 53 is all about that. And Isaiah 54 is then saying, out of what Jesus has come to do, there's going to be wonderful rejoicing and wonderful joy. And actually, it's going to be like the barren ones amongst us, are going to be so full of fruitfulness and joy, it's going to be as if we've had a multitude of children. 
Actually, that's our story. Everywhere Anne and I go around the world, people say, oh, it's like we're your spiritual children. At first, I have to be honest, I'll expose Anne here in a moment. Um, <laughs> she said to me, if another person, pr- and probably some of you have prophesied it, but <laughs> if another person prophesies over us, don't worry, you haven't had physical children, but look at all your spiritual children. She'd, I'll slap them. <laughs> and those of you who know Anne knew that wasn't a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> She might have actually slapped somebody. But I think actually we've come to realize that's true. Actually, our great joy, the great joy and the great delight of our lives, actually is not that we've had physical children. It's actually we've seen all over the world spiritual children. Uh, A couple of stories for you. I I must read the passage in a moment. I'll tell you what, I'll read the passage. The passage is good. (laughs) Then I'll tell you a couple of stories. Then Anne will come and tell you something. Sing, O barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who's had a husband, says the Lord. In other words, the desolate barren one is going to have stacks of kids, but they're not going to be physical, they're going to be spiritual. New birth, new life. It's talking about the new creation. So, You've got to do something in the light of that. All this new birth, all this new life is going to come to you. You've got to do something. What do you have to do? Enlarge the place of your tent. You're going to have a big family. You need a big house. God's going to bless you as a church with a big family. He's going to bless you with new birth. Just like the McGuigans and the Smiths have been blessed by big families God wants to prophetically say he wants to do that for all of you. He wants to give all of you half a dozen kids. But it's not in the natural. Somebody say hallelujah. (laughs) It's in the spiritual. He wants to cause multiple new births. He wants to cause many people to be born again. Might start with, with your own children. It was wonderful just to see, hear that prayer for Isaiah. The prayer for him was not that he grew up to be strong and happy and handsome and successful and rich. The prayer was, oh God, let him come to know you. And that's our heart for our children, isn't it? They come to know Jesus. So we've got a mission field happening out there, even as we're speaking. And God wants to see many of your children born again. But also through you, he wants to see many people in Fredericton and New Brunswick come to know him and be born again. There may even be some people here this morning. Maybe you're a guest, you're a visitor. Maybe you wouldn't yet call yourself a child of God. But God wants to effect something in your heart that's like a new birth. My Bible reading today, I read through the Bible uh, with different uh, ways, but my Bible reading for today was Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, saying to him, and it was the first time that phrase had been used. For us, it's a hackneyed, old-fashioned phrase, you know, pop singers talk about, I'm going to be born again and all that, but Jesus coined the phrase for the first time. He said to Nicodemus, an old man, the only way you're going to enter into the kingdom is to be born again. And he goes, I mean, it's it's laughable. I laugh because when I read it this morning, I thought it's so funny. He said, how can I crawl back into my mother's womb and like to be born? No, Nicodemus, you're thinking slightly wrong. You're thinking physically, this is spiritual, new birth, new life is going to come. And maybe you're a guest here this morning thinking, how can I get what these people have got? Well, God wants to effect a new birth in your life. Something internally to be born again, to have a new life, a new start. And God wants to do that. And so that's what's happening here. It says, and therefore, get a bigger house. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread out to the left and the right or the right and the left. And your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in desolate cities or desolate buildings. I said I'd tell you a couple of stories, and I'm going to let Anne come in and tell you uh, a little bit of her story. We planted a church in a place called Teesside. It's uh, on the River Tees in North Yorkshire, uh, north of England. About twi- well, It was exactly 20 years ago. Exactly. So uh, in the autumn of... Uh, 1998, uh, Anne and I started to visit 
that place and gather a group of people together which became Jubilee Church Teesside and we moved up there to plant and to start that church. We had the joy of going back because we've left there many years ago. We've moved on to Manchester, now we're in Sheffield. and It's like we've moved on, we've moved on. That's the nature of apostolic ministry. You kind of move on and move on and things happen. But actually we have a, such a love for that church that we spent 11 years of our life in and we went back for their 20th birthday, 20th anniversary. And sometimes those things can be a little nostalgic, a little looking back. Oh, wasn't it good in the good old days? Actually, if you were there, it wasn't that good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can look, but actually what impressed us is the number of people who came to us and said, oh, we got saved during that time. We were born again during that time. We're your spiritual kids. And you don't know us, but that person you led to the Lord led us to the Lord. And this happened and that. And for us, it was such a joy. We came back with the biggest smile on our face. I know that while we were in Teesside, we counted 100 people uh, that didn't have church backgrounds who came right through to radical salvation, uh, baptism in water, filling of the Holy Spirit, joining in the life of the church. It was so wonderful. To see, and wonderful then to see that carrying on. Life begats life begats life. And for us, it was such a joy, such a wonderful joy to see that. And another story. Last year at our uh, annual camp event, you, I had the privilege of speaking at your annual event. I don't know, can't remember what we called it. Weekend away. It's a very, very, very innovative week, weekend. Just say it what it is. It's, it, it, does, it does what it says on the tin. <laughs> the weekend away. Um, and I think we had about four or 500 people that weekend away, which is wonderful. Really enjoyed it being with you uh, last, uh, I think it was May, June time. Wonderful. Uh, we gather in the summer with our group of churches that are primarily in the UK, although many come and join us from other settings. And a couple of thousand of us were there last summer for our devoted event. We, we call it devoted. We're devoting ourselves to Jesus. We're devoting ourselves to worship and uh, preaching of his word. And, uh, I had the privilege of uh, preaching on David and Goliath and uh, preached uh, about Goliaths in people's lives lives that have already been beheaded by Jesus, actually already been taken down. And we have the privilege just to press in and like the Israelite army and to take the plunder. And I knew I was going to go for physical healing and I'm kind of familiar with going for that. But I also felt God say, go for mental healing, go for emotional healing, go for strongholds in the mind. That's interesting just to hear people talking even about that this morning. And I get a little nervous about that, if I'm honest. I think Barb referred to um, things this morning. I get a little nervous because I think, oh, you know, if you want physical healing, come to Jesus. If you want mental healing, oh, please go to a doctor. You know, pl- please go to a psychiatrist. Pl- please, because you know, we don't want to mess with that. Oh, we'll see. Fi- but actually, you know, I'm happy to go to a doctor if you're sick, physically or mentally. But I'm also happy to pray for you physically or mentally. And we've seen Jesus do some wonderful things. But I was a little nervous, if I'm honest with you. And my team will know I struggled to go for it. And uh, I, I summoned up some courage and went for it and said, you know, if, you, if you're struggling in your body, come and get healed. If you're struggling in your mind, well, this thing, c- come and get healed. And I had a story back in the autumn. I met a, l- a young girl. She said, oh, you don't know me. We were speaking at a church plant in a town called Crewe in the north of England, a new church plant called Christ Central, interestingly enough. And uh, she said, oh, my name's Demi, and I've got her permission to tell this story. She said, my name's Demi. She said, do you remember speaking about David and Goliath at Devoted? Yes, I do. She said, do you remember calling people forward who are struggling with mental health issues? I said, yes, I do, more than you realize. Yes, I do. And she said, well, I came forward, and I was prayed for, and she said, this is my story. And this is a sad story. She said, I was dramatically and severely abused as a child, both physically and sexually. I've I've got a permission to tell this story. And she said, it it really left me very mentally scarred. I I find relationships difficult. I've I've been under every kind of psychiatrist. I've I've, I've been on tablets and all sorts of medication, but nothing has been able to help me at all. And actually, I was quite a backslidden state at Devoted. Uh, In fact, I was there. uh, She's living with a non-Christian guy, difficult relationship. They were having a child together, but that's even quite difficult. And she said, she responded and she said, God totally and utterly lifted off her depression, totally and utterly. That night it it went and it never came back. This was months later I was talking to her. That was in August. I was talking to her in November, December. She totally changed my life. But what's more amazing is this. I went back and my non-Christian guy, Dan, I met him as well, he was so amazed that God could do something in his crushed and crippled girlfriend. He said, that, there must be a real God. So he comes to church the next Sunday at the church plant, gets saved. They now are married and in that 
together. Now, that's what gives me joy. That, that, that's the fruit of the kingdom. That's the joy that we celebrate. And I believe God prophetically wants to say to you, Fredericton, I want to give you multiple new births. I want to give you multiple stories of joy, of people being saved and healed and breakthroughs. And sometimes you won't see it all, but sometimes you'll see, like Debbie said, little bits that happen. Well, what do we do? We keep pressing through and asking for more. Like Joe was said, we keep swinging the, 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 the hammer and we go, we're going to go again and believe again and believe again because God is going to break through and signs and wonders and things are going to and what's it going to do for us it's going to cause great joy to emerge in the church the early church were known as those who there was great joy amongst them and Anne and I were just talking about this and Anne said I'd just like to come in and share something about joy morning everybody I said to Ollie this morning because he just nicely said to me top of the morning to you Anne and uh, so uh, just to keep me happy that I like trying that phrase, because they don't say that in Ireland at all. Um, <laughs> and it, I s- he said to me, welcome back. I said, I don't feel I've left. Mm. I think we feel very much part of, of this wonderful family here. So uh, I don't feel like I'm a guest at all. So as Jeremy said, I've recently been stirred about the, the joy of the Lord in our lives. I think uh, you know it's a topic that we don't often talk about. So I don't know when you go to the grocery store and you buy a packet of food or a, a tin or a can of something, if you ever look at the ingredients on the back, I think we are much more ingredients aware today as to what we are consuming. But uh, in on the back of your tins and packets, there'll be a list of the ingredients. And I don't know whether you know it, but they're listed in order of volume. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, it goes to love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, etc. The second fruit of the Spirit listed is joy. Now, I'm not theologically correct on this, but because it's second, I'm just taking it as the second most important fruit of the Spirit. We often talk about love, and we often talk about peace, but we don't often talk about the joy of the Lord. And I really do feel God wants to restore the joy of the Lord to his church. So I'd like to take you back 30 years in my life. Um, Jeremy was an elder in our church in Hastings, where dear Don and Stephanie, bless her, uh, came from. And one of my friends, one of the leaders in the church, she came up to me and said to me, quite seriously, she said to me, Anne, your laugh does you no favors. Now, if you know me, I was phys ed, like Joe, I was a phys ed teacher. His ed teachers tend to be bouncy, lively, fun people. If you're not, I don't think you'll be a phys ed teacher. You tend to be very loud and you enjoy life. Now, I was Jeremy's wife as a, and he was an elder. And some of that story you've heard before, how that really crushed me. And when somebody said that to me, I was crushed. Jeremy was crushed because, well, he married this fun-loving person one who perhaps laughs too much at times, but okay, we can deal with that now and again. And but I'm not going to stop laughing, and neither's Barb either. So um, that is who I am. It's part of my character and how God has made me. So it was a difficult time because I thought, wow, how do you handle that? But very soon after, in the 1980s. We went to a conference in a, a tower, a city nearby us called Brighton, which has amazingly huge auditorium, a big conference center. Some of you will have been there. And we had a guest speaker, and there were 3,000 people in that auditorium. The guest speaker, I can talk to you because you are North Americans, John Wimber, some of you will remember him. And he came to the UK quite a lot and brought an amazing aspect of the Holy Spirit to us, which we thoroughly embraced. But at the end of his talk, and often he used to do this, he'd stand on the stage and he'd say, Holy Spirit, come, let's do the stuff. And he put his hand out there to the right-hand side or left-hand side of the auditorium. And he just slowly took his hand round like this. And it's a bit like a Mexican wave that, as he did that, I was sitting central balcony, and I can remember it vividly, that people started to laugh over on this side. And they were laughing in the spirit. The joy of the Lord was manifesting 
himself that way. And as he drew his hand round like this, it was like it, the laughter increased as we went round the auditorium. And by the time we got there, 3,000 people were blasted with laughing everywhere. Joy of the Lord was restored, and I was back to where I was before and possibly worse than ever, I expect. <laughs> so uh, God, God has an amazing sense of humor, and that is wonderful. I've just been reading Andrew Wilson's book. Some of you know him very well. He spent time here writing books and things. In his book called Spirit and Sacrament, buy it, get it. It's really good. And I'm rereading it. I was rereading it yesterday on the plane. Christians have joy unspeakable, full of glory. But you might not always know it to look at us. I just said to Jerry, wouldn't it be fun on a Sunday morning, wherever we are, just sort of take photos casually around the church doing worship and then put them up on the screen and see what people think of their faces and how much they really are enjoying God in the worship. Because I, I know, what, I know we, we often look very sad when we're worshipping, but possibly in our hearts, hopefully in our hearts, we're full of, full of joy. As I said, I really feel at the moment God's called me to speak on this subject of joy and I've had many prophetic encouragements to do so. And there are many passages, as you will know, in the Bible, and I'm just going to read three of them to you. Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of just eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter 1, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an, an unspeakable and glorious joy. I believe God wants to release his joy amongst us. Nehemiah 8, you can all quote this one. The joy of the Lord is our... And I know joy doesn't always manifest itself through laughter. There's an inner joy. Circumstances we're going through, difficulties hardships, emotional issues, but the joy of salvation is very deep within us. We are saved. We are saved people. And if you're not saved this morning, there's an amazing joy unspeakable to come to you if you want to give your life to Jesus today. It's wonderful, but there is a strength, an inner strength of coping day by day, of knowing that you can trust in Jesus and he's, he's with you. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. However, it is released only by making the decision not to allow adverse circumstances to rule your emotional and mental attitudes. Through joy, you can receive strength to do things that would otherwise be impossible. Another little story of um, a young lady I was talking to. We did a Younger Leaders event back in November. And I chatted to her, and she was sharing some sad circumstances about her family and some church leaders from the country she was from. And she was grieving over those circumstances. And as she was sharing with me, she was very tearful. But I prayed with her. Her name was Elizabeth. And I said, Elizabeth, God wants his river of joy to flow through you. And as I said that, bubbling up of laughter came to her. And it was just a wonderful pleasure to be praying for her and seeing that happen. So later on in that meeting, um, I went and prayed for her again, and the same thing happened again. I then said to her, now you go and pray for others. Give it away. And as she did so, I mean, again, in this room, there's only about 40 of us in the room. It was pretty noisy by the end of that morning. But it was just a wonderful opportunity to show how God, through tears of sorrow, he can bring that inexpressible joy. One last quote, which somebody sent to me very recently from C.H. Spurgeon, a very famous preacher. God made human beings as he made his other creatures to be happy. They are capable of happiness. They are in their right element when they are happy. And now that Jesus Christ has come to restore the ruins of the fall, he has come to bring us back to the old joy. Only it shall be even sweeter 
and deeper than it could have been if we had never lost it. A Christian has never fully realized what Christ came to make him until he has grasped the joy of the Lord. Christ wishes his people to be happy. When they are perfect, as he will make them in due time, they shall also be perfectly happy. As heaven is the place of pure holiness, so it is the place of unalloyed happiness. And in proportion, as we get ready for heaven, we shall have some of the joy which belongs to heaven. And it is our Savior's will that even now his joy should remain in us and that our joy should be full. Thank you. So rejoice. <laughs> even if you feel barren, even if you feel pushed down, even if you feel you're in difficulty, even if you feel circumstances are stacking against you, God wants to restore the joy of the Lord to you. He wants to restore the joy of salvation to you personally. And then through you, he wants to fill Fredericton with joy. He wants you to be a, a city of joy. He wants you to be a place of joy. He wants you to be a place of great rejoicing. Why? Because many people are being born again added to you, coming to know Jesus, that this is a fruitful place. Why on earth would you move to a massive warehouse? I mean, why? You've got a perfectly acceptable building. You've got, you, you can rent facilities like this. Why would you want to have a warehouse that can have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people? I'll tell you why, because God wants to fill it with hundreds and hundreds of people. And he wants to do that primarily not by people joining you from other churches or other settings, but primarily through people joining you from the world, people being saved. And it's going to be a place of great joy. That building is going to be a place of great celebration. So I want to end this message by saying this. What do you need to do? You need to enlarge the place of your tent. Now, you're doing that physically. You're physically getting a big building. Wonderful. So exciting to see what God is doing with that. But I think spiritually, he wants to do it in you as a people. It's no good. You could just be a small people in a big building. But he wants you to be a big people, a people of big heart, of big faith, of big grace, of big big-heartedness in this big building. And God wants to do that in you and start that in you today. And the image that Isaiah uses is a foreign image to us, but it's not that foreign because some of us have camped. Some of us have been under canvas. Some of us do that crazily at our devoted festival. Some of you do it. Some of you guys uh, in, in Canada are, are much more expert at camping uh, than we are in the UK. Well, I think you do it a bit with a bit more panache and <laughs> finesse than we do. But nevertheless, it's a picture of a Bedouin tent, of a Middle Eastern tent. And if the family grew like the McGuigans grew, what they would have done is they wouldn't have just crushed themselves into a small tent. They would have enlarged their tent to cope with the growth that God was giving them. Now, you need to enlarge spiritually the place of your tent to encompass the growth that God wants to give to you. And what they would do, three things. Very simply, they would sew on some new fabrics, some skins or some cloth or whatever material they could find to use. They would sew that onto the existing tent. So it's not like, oh, we throw that away and buy a new tent. That's not what they did. They enlarged the place of their tent. And that's what God wants to do to you. He wants to enlarge you. He wants to give you bigger vision. He wants to give you bigger sense of what God is doing amongst you. And this is spiritually. He wants to enlarge this place of your tent. Sew on these new skins. Sew on these new fabrics. But then there's two other things that need to happen. First is this. We need some strong stakes in the ground strengthen your stakes. Now, there are leaders here. Now, the moment I said leaders, you thought elders. I'm not talking elders. I'm talking leaders. I'm not saying elders aren't leaders. Of course they are. But they're not the only type of leaders 
they're one type of leader. There's other types of leader, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and youth workers and community activists and business leaders and creative uh, people and uh, people who can work in town councils and planning and architecture and people who can work in schools and universities and people who can work in neighbourhoods to restore, people who are in restorative justice. All sorts of leadership God wants to raise up amongst you. And I believe the word I have for you here in Fredericton is this. Yes, there's going to be great joy, but it's great joy as you stand up into your leadership calling. And we've got to enlarge our thinking about leadership, that it's not just about eldership. Of course, it includes eldership. Of course, there are massive stakes in the ground. Of course, we need to strengthen them. Of course. But actually, many of you who wouldn't have traditionally thought yourself as a leader Actually, you need to stand up and say, I'm a leader in my community, Betty, aren't you? A leader in your community. See, she's not going to be an elder in the church, but she's a leader, a stake in her community. And many of you are. Many of you here in healthcare, many of here in education, many of here at schools and colleges, many of you in local authorities, many of you working amongst the poor and the needy, many of you working amongst children and, and young people, and, and it, right, not just in the church but in the community. God wants you to be stakes in the community. He wants you to be raised up. He wants the, the, the tent of Fredericton, the tent of Christ Central Fredericton, not just to be seen in Topmar, that's just a little example of it, but he wants to stretch your canvas right over the city, right up wherever you are, where you work, God wants to raise you up as a leader, where you live, God wants to raise you up as a community leader, where you serve, God wants to raise you up as a community. Now, that doesn't mean you're necessarily fully formed yet. You could be like a little stake that needs a bit of discipling and growing. And it might be, I'm talking prophetically, it might be not next week, it might be next year or next decade, or it might be 20 years time for some of you. That's okay, but you need to start to grow and to start to stand up strong and to start to take responsibility. This passage is saying, you do something. You step up. You enlarge the place. Because I'm going to give you growth. You can't, you can't save anyone. You can't see anyone healed. God does that. But when he does that, we do something about it. We build structure. We put leadership in. We strengthen leadership. We step up and step into what God's calling us to be. And I believe today, prophetically, God wants to speak to many people here. You know you're a leader. You know God's put leadership in you. Men, women, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, social demographic. Stop boxing yourself and boxing yourself out of the presence of God and boxing yourself out of God's calling because you're not... You don't fit the stereotypical model. God's calling you. He wanted you to be as you were. He wanted to be you the person that you were. He made you, knit you together in your mother's womb, as we've already heard this morning. He called you to be you, and he's going to make you to be unique to reach out to a certain people group and a certain sector of society. See, the elders here will never reach certain sectors of society. You will. They'll never reach into healthcare. You will. They'll never reach into the LGBT community. You will. They'll never reach into social action. You can. You will. They'll never, there's certain areas of society that you, God's called you to be a stake in the ground, a leader in that. Now, is that everybody in the church? No. Not everybody is a leader. Not everybody is a stake. Some of us are called to be cords or pegs. And we had a, I had a discussion with Joe yesterday as to what do you, let me ask you, what do you, when you go camping and you attach those little bits of rope, see the thing is this, you can have a magnificent tent, I've seen this many times before, you have a magnificent tent, great structure, great tent poles, all looks wonderful, and then you get a puff of wind that comes along and the whole thing goes. It's no good to have big canvas, big stakes, you need it to be grounded, you need it to be pegged down, you need it, and, and what do you call those ropes? Ropes. <laughs> hey, we're, we're in Canada. It does what it says. See, in, in England, we call them guy ropes. I have no idea why they're guys, not girls ropes, but they're guy ropes. You know, they're, they're just called guy ropes. I don't know why, but uh, I said, what do you call them in Canada? Joe said, just, just ropes. 
And that's, you know, that's like just right. What, it's just a bit of, that's, some of you might feel like that. You feel, I'm not a stake. I'm not, import, I'm not that important. I'm, I'm not a great load-bearing pillar. I'm just a bit of string. Well, attach yourself to the stake. Attach yourself to the tent. Get pegged in. Get pegged down. We need you. We need every single person in the church here either to, stand, either to stand up as a leader and say, I'm a stake in the ground in my community, or we need dozens and dozens to stand around them to say, I may not be a stake, but I'm going to make sure you're stable. I'm going to make sure you're grounded. I'm going to make sure you're supported. I'm going to make sure you're prayed for. I'm going to make sure you're financially supported. I'm going to make sure you're, you, you're supported with love and care and community. I'm going I'm to ground you. I'm going to bang you into the ground. I'm going to make sure that when the wind and the blowing comes and, and things come in, that you're secure, that this tent won't blow over. Actually, all are important. The whole body builds itself up in love. The whole body is necessary. So don't stop looking at others and say, oh, I wish I was a stake. Be who God has made you to be. And if you're a guy, rope, or a girl, rope. <laughs> Attach yourself Peg yourself in, be committed in, be part of it, because God wants to fill this whole house with the glory of the Lord. And he does not just a building over on the other side of the river, and that's, it's the whole of Fredericton he wants to fill with his glory. Now, we're going to end this meeting. We've got 15 minutes. Okay. Jody, we're doing well. 15 minutes to pray. If you feel... God has called you to be a stake in the ground, a load-bearing leader in community, in business, in arts, in social action, wherever you are. It doesn't matter whether you've got it all together right now. In fact, most of us haven't and most of us won't. But unless we start to self-identify and get some training and equipping and discipling and strengthening, that's what it says, strengthen the stakes. We've got to do some leaders here, have got to do some strengthening of some stakes. But we don't know who to strengthen unless you say, I'm a stake. So if that's you, would you do me the honour and the privilege of just standing right now? If you, if you know that you're a stake, men, women, young, old, black, white, trained, not trained, qualified, unqualified, equipped, ill-equipped, got it all together, got nothing together. Yeah, we're all of us. Brilliant. Now, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. C church, just look around. If God is giving you all these stakes, do you think he just wants a handful of people in Fredericton? If God is preparing all these stakes, load-bearing stakes, don't you think he wants a massive tent right across the whole city? Don't you think he wants to do something glorious across Fredericton? Don't you do think he wants to do something glorious that then can be modelled, not just in Fredericton, but across Atlantic Canada? Don't you think he wants to do something that is modelled across Atlantic Canada that goes trans-Canadian from sea to sea? Don't you think he wants something then that goes continental? Don't you think he wants something then that goes global? Why is he giving you all these leaders? Why? So that you can train them, equip them, strengthen, and the thing can grow. And glory goes to God. God gives the increase. One plants, one waters, but God gives the growth. It's the grace of God that does that. But we're standing in obedience to God today to say I'm a stake. Now, the rest of us sitting, we're the guy ropes. We're the, we're the, we're the, we're the ropes. We're the cords. And, or we might be a guest. If you're a guest, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. Well, you probably think we're a little crazy. Uh, but hopefully you think we have some integrity with our craziness. Um, and you're so welcome. You can be part of this. You can enjoy this. You can even pray and be part of it. You might be a guest with the family. Uh, you might even be a non, not a Christian this morning. Well, why not today become a Christian and let the joy of the Lord be birthed in you? Let the Saviour come to you that you might know this sense of a new beginning, a new start in your life. Let us know. We'll pray for you. But the rest of us, what I'd love you to do is I, the who's sitting down, and it may just be that some who are standing just for the moment have to go and pray with somebody because there's so many people standing. What I'd love is everybody involved in this as a prophetic act and a prophetic action. If everyone who's sitting could just go and stand with everyone who's standing. Now, everyone who's standing, put your hand up. Put, 
Put your hand down, not yet. Put your hand down, not yet. Put your hand down. <laughs> Put your hand down when somebody comes and puts their hand on your shoulder. I just want to make sure that everyone's being prayed for here. So the rest of us who are sitting down, if we could go and move and like prophetically say, I want to support you. Now, you know, we're not taking names today. It's not like you're signing up for something. It's just a prophetic action. So just go, the rest of you are sitting, just go and stand with somebody who's already put their hand up. And once, once you feel a hand on your shoulder, you can put your hand down, sir. That's it. Very good. Now, there's lots of people. It might, it might be is that some who have their hands in the air might just have to look round and say, I'm just going to go and pray. We've got uh, Ollie and Hazel here. That's it. People are coming to you. That's it. There's a, a, couple, a couple here, a, a lady and a gentleman here with their hands in the air. There's Mark and Debbie here. There's a lady here. I can't always see who you are. I probably know you really well, but it's the lights. You can't always see who people are. Okay, can we just make sure that everyone's covered? This is it's a dignity thing. Um, there's a couple of hands. The guys in the PA, unsung heroes, only ever talk to them when things go wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens, isn't it? Something goes wrong at the front, and everybody looks around at the PA. It's the only time they get any attention. Hey, we love you guys. You do a great job. Thank you. We, we couldn't be heard, and we couldn't enjoy the worship and the music. It wasn't for you guys. Thank you. Anyone with that? Anyone else who hasn't got somebody with them? Brilliant. Well done. Now, it might just be that because you went and prayed with somebody, it might then be that that person can pray with you a bit later. But I'm just going to pray first, and then the end of this time is not us praying. That's the danger. We fly in from England, you know, we come, and people go, oh, yeah, it's wonderful, but you're the ministry team. We're not the ministers. You're the ministers. It's the, it's the priests. We're not the priests. We're the priests of all believers. We're to the body of Christ together. We come in, facilitate something, and go. You live with this. You, you've got to work this out and live it out in your community. Now, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these stakes in the ground. We honour leadership, Lord. We honour the fact that men, women, young, old, black, white, rich, poor, whatever social democrat we, graphic we put ourselves in, you call everyone, you call all sorts, you call multiplicity. We, leadership looks so different as it is embodied in different people and we thank you for leadership. We thank you for those that we're touching right now. We thank you for their calling in God. We thank you for the areas that they're going to open up that in life, in ministry, in work, in neighbourhoods, in social action, whatever it is, Lord, and we pray blessing on them now. We pray strength on them. Strengthen these stakes, Lord. Lord, if we're going to see this thing grow and multiply and model it to the nations, strengthen it, Lord. Lord, cause it to grow and multiply and cause primarily, Lord, there to be new birth here. Lord, we, we want to just not have great structure. We want to have great structure because there's so many kids around us that they need this big structure to support them and to, to encompass them and to keep them safe and protected. Therefore, Lord, strengthen these stakes. In G now, you pray for the person that you handed on them. If you feel to prophesy over them, that's okay. It'd be great if it could be you could like, even write it down later so there's a sense of, of uh, accountability in that. We don't just want wild prophecies left, right and centre. But you might just want to prophesy. You might just want to feel, I feel God's saying something to you. Now, you're, you're the ministry team now. Go and pray. Pray. That, 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 that I want some sound to be heard. So pray. Go and pray now, out loud. Pray for that person. 